0: And you can get an extra three months free. ExpressVPN.com slash Film. Hello,
1: everyone, and welcome to slash Film Daily for February 9th, 2018. On today's show, we're going to be diving into a bunch of news, including lo- the Lobo movie Gets the Director, Masters of the Universe Loses the Director, Facebook's new TV series. We got some more solo news. Alex Garland has a new TV project in the works, and Disney Streaming Service has announced their lineup. All that and more. This is Peter Serretta, and on today's podcast, we have with us Slash Home Managing Editor, Jacob Hall. Hello, hello. Weekend Editor, Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. And writer, Chris Evangelista. Hello. So, guys, before we get into this, I just wanted to complain. I wanted to step onto the, the, this mini soapbox for a second about um, uh, YouTube's new app on Apple TV. I... I I use Apple TV uh, every day. Like I don't have a cable. You know, my, my cable is through uh, the PlayStation View app on Apple TV, which I enjoy. Uh, you know, and uh, I'm starting to actually watch more YouTube content in uh, this day and age. Actually, I probably spend more time on my YouTube app than I do my cable DVR app, uh, which is kind of strange. It's almost like I'm turning into, into a millennial or something. But um. YouTube has decided to upgrade their Apple TV app and essentially make it like every other YouTube app there is. So like the YouTube app on Roku and uh, I guess they want to have a uh, interface that's similar to all of those. Uh, and they have basically ruined it. Um, it. It is now clunky. It looks it like moving around. It is frustrating. It uh, looks horrible. It looks like something like made for Android like five years ago. Um, it's operating it. Like, you know, if, you know, sometimes I'm watching a YouTube click, I want to like fast forward a little bit, like doing that. It's just, it's so frustrating, so horrible. And I hate it. And it I, I hate it to the point that I might actually just play YouTube clips from my phone, from the YouTube app on my phone and just air airplay it to my Apple TV now, because I'm just, I'm just, I'm so frustrated with this app. I'm so I'm so angry that YouTube has done this. Um but they don't care about me. They don't care about you. You know, <laughs> they're going to do what they want to do. Uh do, do 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 any of you guys use the YouTube app on the Apple TV or even use the Apple TV?
2: The Apple TV is my bedroom device. I use my PS4 for most things and never had a problem with the YouTube app there. Oh,
1: huh. maybe I'll have to check that out because I do have a PlayStation 4, but I've been told that the YouTube app is the same across all platforms and TVs and stuff, so I'm I'm, I'm betting it's the same. I don't know. It just feels very clunky to me, Uh, but uh, of course, no one from YouTube or Google is listening to this podcast, so I'm not sure why I'm complaining, but uh, thank you guys for letting me vent for a second before we get into the news, Uh, and we do have a lot of news. After the podcast recording yesterday, it was announced... That uh, Michael Bay is in talks to direct a movie based on Lobo. Uh, Jacob, you're at this up for the site. What do we know?
2: Well, we know is a report from The Rap reports that uh, Warner Brothers and DC execs met with Michael Bay to talk about the Lo- uh, Lobo movie. Uh, he has not signed on to direct, but he did offer notes in the screenplay. And uh, Jason Fuchs, the screenwriter, who was also behind the script for Wonder Woman last year, uh, is going to incorporate those notes, and if Michael Bay likes what he sees, he may sign on to direct. So that's the current status of things. Uh, this is an interesting and bizarrely perfect pairing of material and filmmaker because michael bay is this vulgar hyper-masculine bombastic director and lobo is a vulgar hyper-masculine <laughs> bombastic character uh he was created in the 80s as a sort of a space villain in the dc universe it was reinvented in the 90s as sort of this mercenary biker traveling the universe getting in fights getting drunk doing dirty jobs as a bounty hunter uh According to The Wrap, uh, Warner Brothers sees this very much as their answer to Deadpool, an R-rated, uh, crass, comedic superhero movie. And that makes sense. And Michael Bay is the guy for this. I mean, Pain and Gain is practically a Lobo movie, just without the science fiction. It's that same kind of attitude. And I'm not a fan of Lobo. I'm not a fan of Michael Bay. I don't like either of them. But at the same time, I look at this combination and go, yeah, that that makes total sense. <laughs> if you are going to make a Lobo movie. Uh, and you can't do worse than Michael Bay. He's a perfect fit for what that character represents. Uh, I'm curious though. I know that Deadpool was not actually a well known character um, amongst real people <laughs> before uh, his movie. Do you guys know much about Lobo? Uh, I mean, does this character do anything for you?
1: I have no uh, recognition of Lobo whatsoever. Although you know we have been reporting on a possible Lobo movie for some time. I, I know that this project. Uh, I think it was written, from what I understand, was written uh, kind of in the vein. They wanted Seth Rogen to direct this. So it's, it's it, you know, it, yeah, they are going like full on Deadpool with this. And I know Guy Ritchie at one point, you know, he's one of Warner Brothers guys, was, uh, you know, uh, wanted to direct this movie or was th- considering directing this movie. And when he was doing it, it was going to be a CG Lobo Um which I could totally see uh, Michael Bay doing because, you know, Michael Bay loves his CG characters. He can have full control and not have to deal with those, uh, you know, actors with their their opinions and uh, choices. Uh, <laughs> um, but uh, I don't know. Cr- Cr- Chris and uh, Brad, do you have any uh, opinions on Lobo? <laughs> uh,
3: I, I know of the character. I feel like he was on... One of the the many animated series—I can't remember what it was—but it was one of the many Marvel animated series or whatever DC. I can't remember what what brand <laughs> it is, but I do rem- I do remember it on an animated series of some point. But that's all I know about the character. Brad?
4: I don't care.
1: <laughs> well, I you know, I think most of America that don't didn't read comic books didn't know who Deadpool was before the Deadpool movie. So, you know, this is a perfect opportunity, just like, you know, Deadpool or Guardians of the Galaxy, to, you know, to grab the public attention. But um, is Michael Bay the right guy for this project?
2: Yeah, he definitely is. I guess the only, in, in a weird meta sense, is that uh, lobo was created or reinvented in the 90s in this uh tough talking brute as a parody of comic trends of the time of the grim and gritty hardcore characters uh, even though it was intended to be a joke uh people took it seriously and the characters stuck and he, lobo was actually reinvented in in so that his humorous take became the actual canon take for the character and that lack of self-awareness is perfect for michael bay a guy who (laughs) exists in his own little world and tells stories the way he wants to we know offense michael bay uh he makes movies the way he wants to make them and people tend to really like them they do really well at the box office for the most part um but i feel like if anybody's gonna look at that character without a shred of irony and go yeah that's rad it's michael bay
1: (laughs) I was talking to a friend about this yesterday and I was like, you know, I, I love Michael Bay. I actually I unironically love Michael Bay. And, um, but one thing I don't like about him is the humor he brings to, you know, like those Transformer movies and the other films he does. Um, and I was kind of, I, I was expressing my, uh, hesitation, my worry that he might do it to this movie. Um, but he, uh, my friend, Brought up the point that like you know, when Michael Bay does an R-rated film, when he does Bad Boys or he does Pain and Gain, uh, you know the the humor is very much uh, more in line with uh, you you know it's not as um, as bad as Transformers too. So um, so yeah, it, 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 we'll see if he ends up doing it. Let's see, we'll see if it's going to end up being good. Um, at least he's not doing more Transformer movies. Uh, but as Lobo gets a director. Masters of the Universe is losing a director uh and they're now on the hunt for a new filmmaker. Chris, what do we know?
3: Yes, yeah, so David S. Goyer, who has, you know, a a wide-ranging uh resume with writing credits on, you know, The Dark Knight and Man of Steel, uh was originally going to direct the Masters of the Universe movie, aka the the new He-Man movie, but he has a scheduling conflict with the HBO series Foundation based on the uh, Isaac Asimov stories. So he's not going to be able to make it work because they uh, Sony wants this film to come out in December 2019. So he's walking from the director's gig, but his script will still be used. And now Sony needs a new director. By, by
1: the way, when, whenever we hear of these conflicts, the first thing, I, I'm so cynical. I'm like, oh, there was creative differences or, oh, he didn't want to do it. Like... I never buy this. Like, oh, the ske- There was a schedule conflict. <laughs> no, yeah,
3: I, I always think the same thing too. There is probably more to it than that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, do we have any idea who they're cording for this, or we just know that they're going out to, to the mass filmmakers that that would be able to helm a project this size? Yes. That's <laughs> yeah.
3: Uh, yeah. I mean you know there they could you know anyone could do it anyone can direct a masters of the universe film I don't think it's a challenging property so go nuts anyone who wants the job you can have it
2: good luck
1: <laughs> I know we've talked about this in on the past on the on the podcast but I actually think a masters of the universe movie if done right by the right filmmaker could actually be cool it could actually be you know I know this is going to sound stupid and you're going to make fun of me for saying this but the you know the 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 more fantasy version of Star Wars it could be that um Jacob do you have any feelings on uh He-Man and Masters of the Universe property
2: I I was telling this to some of the staff earlier today but I started writing professionally online in 2009, and I wrote about the He-Man movie in 2009. So I've been writing about this movie, this unmade movie, for as long as I've been writing on the internet. So I will believe this actually exists when it's in theaters in front of me. Uh, but at the same time, I can't say I'm so excited for it. I have no nostalgia for Master of the Universe. I think the 80s movie is a hoot for all the wrong re- reasons. And I just can't get over the fact that the main character's name is He-Man. That's, that's, that's a hurdle for me. Like Well, Optimus well, Prime, well sure.
1: it's, it's Prince of and then he gets the sword and becomes He-Man, right? Or, I don't know. <laughs> I I, I, I'm not sure I know the, the mythology that well.
2: I still can't get over He-Man as, as, as a name to take seriously. Uh, so, you know, if, if somebody can make this happen with the right people, maybe it will it'll be a fun fantasy movie. Uh, I just don't see it happening. I think I'm going to be writing about this movie for another 10 years.
1: Uh, I I wouldn't bet against it. Uh, But moving on, uh, we've been talking about Apple making movies and TV shows. You know, uh, Netflix is definitely doing a lot of that. YouTube. And uh, now Facebook is trying to get into that ring with their own original series from uh, the director of Spectacular Now and Elizabeth Olsen. Brad, what do we know?
4: Yeah, so a little while back, Facebook launched this uh, content feature called Facebook Watch. And it originally started as a platform where they were uh, kind of partially funding uh, content creators' program, um, videos and things like that, that so that they could help the people that are part of the community and creating consistently viewed content from Facebook users uh, get attention and make some money off of it. Uh, it's expanded into some unscripted series. There's a show with Mike Rowe. There was, um, they picked up a show that was canceled at MTV. And now they're try- starting to change gears a little bit and expand into using the money to create a smaller number of higher profile projects. And the first one is going to be this uh, Elizabeth Olsen series. It doesn't have a title or anything yet, um, but it's being uh, written by uh, Kit Steinkelner, who wrote Amazon Series Z, The Beginning of Everything, And it'll be the pilot and some of the episodes will be directed by the spectacular now director James Ponsult. Unfortunately, we don't know anything uh, as far as what the series is about because they're keeping the plot of it under wraps. But it sounds like whatever it is, it's something that uh, Elizabeth Olsen has wanted to do for a little while now because she said, uh, Kit's story has been near and dear to me for years and I can't wait to share a dark, funny and complicated show with the world. So uh, whatever it is, it sounds like it's something that's um, a passion project for Elizabeth Olsen. Um, where I start to like, I don't know, I guess kind of not care is I just don't know if Facebook has the power to really push into, uh, creating original programming like this and actually get a decent amount of attention for it. Um, it seems like Facebook is becoming more of an archaic social media tool in the way that MySpace did, where it's being used by a lot of people who are in their late twenties, early thirties and beyond. Uh, a lot of people who were part of Facebook when it first started in college still use it. But then the generation after that, they're all about uh, Twitter and Snapchat and Instagram. So I don't really know if Facebook has the ability to, you know, push into the same area that Netflix and Hulu and all and all of them have. Especially because, I mean, a lot of, I bet you a lot of people don't even know about some of these other programs that they were already, you know, working on and had. So it's just... I don't know. It seems like too little too late. And Facebook maybe is just trying to bite off way more than they can chew, uh, trying to have their hand in every single pot around town.
1: So what you're saying is the future isn't original series from Facebook, but original series from Snapchat that you have to watch in a horizontal view and uh, they disappear. uh, What, like a day later? You can't you, you only have like a certain amount of time to watch it.
4: Yeah, probably. And oh, and speaking of which, along the same lines of your YouTube rant earlier, the Snapchat update is absolute garbage too.
1: <laughs> well, Snapchat is has, has always been a dumpster fire of of a uh, interface. Um,
4: oh, it's worse now it's way worse.
1: <laughs> okay, so I I think I already know what Chris is, would say about this. So I'm going to ask Jacob. Um, does Facebook have a chance in this uh, new realm of original programming? No. <laughs> Okay, let's go to
3: Chris. Chris. <laughs> yeah, no, no. Um, when I saw this news, I groaned inwardly because Jesus Christ, enough, enough with everyone trying to launch their own content platforms. Just enough. I have enough stuff to watch. No more. This is it. I'm calling a moratorium on it right here. <laughs>
1: Um, Okay, let's move on to Star Wars, because there's always more Star Wars, you know, with new Star Wars movies coming every year. Uh, Entertainment Weekly is doing their uh, solo issue on Solo, a Star Wars story, and we are learning a lot more about that film. But let's start off first with, um, you know, obviously, Lord and Miller were fired and replaced on this project by Ron Howard and uh, this issue kind of delves into that and gives us a little bit of more insight Chris what did we learn
3: Yeah, so yeah by now pretty much everyone knows that uh, Lord and Miller were fired and Ron Howard were brought in and you know the rumors at the time were that they just they were clashing with uh, Kathleen Kennedy who you know the president of Lucasfilm who oversees all these films and this Entertainment Weekly story pretty much confirms what we already knew, just gives a little more background on it. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of good quotes. I encourage you to go read it at SlashFilm.com. But Kathleen Kennedy essentially says, you know, Lord and Miller, they're great guys, they're hilarious, but they weren't delivering the film that Lucasfilm wanted. Uh, it seems like Le, Lord and Miller were very open to improvisation. And while Kathleen Kennedy says that's fine, she also seems to hint that they were doing so much improvisation that it was it was taking the film almost off schedule in a way. It was it was bogging things down and not getting the movie everyone at Lucasfilm at least was hoping for. And uh, Ron Howard is also interviewed, and and you know he's very uh, you know nice about the whole thing. <laughs> he says he says he was hesitant to take it over because he didn't want to step on Lord Miller's toes, but he was also a really big Star Wars fan and, you know, the opportunity was just too big to pass up. Um, he doesn't, you know, they, they ask him, you know, how much of the film is yours and how much is Lord and Miller's? He doesn't really give a full answer, but he does say uh, Lord and Miller's fingerprints are still all over the film. So I feel like for now that's as much of an answer as we're going to get. Uh, maybe one day we'll learn, you know, just how much of it is Howard's and how much of it is Lord and Miller's. Well, I've talked to a lot of
1: directors and you talk to directors and they, they will tell you that half the job is in the pre-production, the casting of the film, the, you know, the obviously the script, the production design, and almost all of that was Lord and Miller, right? Um, so Ron Howard's coming on and uh, yeah, even if he's reshooting and redirecting most of it, uh, he is taking the handoff of most of the creative decisions that Lord and Miller made uh during the pre-production stages um and i think i've said in the past on the podcast that um you know a lot of people were say, you know when it was first reported that lord and miller were removed um you know a lot of people were saying that it was because of the comedy because of their choices there i i had said on the podcast that i had heard that it was because they were running behind schedule that they were you know starting a day that was supposed to start shooting at nine and you know not getting a first shot until noon. You know, I don't know if those rumors are true. <laughs> uh, you know, I wasn't on set, but uh, I heard, uh, you know, it was more of that thing than actually, you know, the the comedy side of things. And I think Kathleen Kennedy's hinting at it there. But uh, also it's interesting in this article is that we're learning of a couple uh, people from past Star Wars history that are kind of contributing to uh this movie in some way and that includes uh george lucas brad what do we know about george lucas's role on solo
4: So a lot, um obviously a lot of people know george lucas because of his work on star wars but before he ever Created uh the one of the most iconic sci-fi franchises ever He worked on a film called american graffiti that starred a young ron howard who was just 18 Uh he was going by ronnie howard during those days and he'd already been in a bunch of stuff because he was a child actor, as we all know, on the Andy Griffith Show, a bunch of other classic TV series uh, and things like that. And it just so happened that Ron Howard actually found out about Star Wars before a lot of people had. When well, it was still an idea that George Lucas had. Uh, they were talking on set one late night and Ron Howard had asked him, you know, what he was looking to do next. Uh, they had struck up a little bit of a friendship because Ron Howard had just been accepted to USC film school which is where George Lucas went and uh, got all his filmmaking knowledge from. And George Lucas happened to tell him about this nugget of an idea he had for something that was like Flash Gordon. And as we all know, that's the whole premise for Star Wars, something that was a little bit more fast-paced in a world similar to that of 2001, A Space Odyssey. And Ron Howard even said at the time it wasn't something that he could necessarily easily wrap his head around until he saw it in theaters and kind of had his mind blown. And so we flash forward to 45, uh, 44 or 45 years later, and Ron Howard's on the set of Solo, A Star Wars Story, directing, and George Lucas comes by for just a quick visit, just to come and say hi. Uh, George Lucas had worked with Ron Howard before on Willow. They've been friends for a long time. They've collaborated a few times as well. So just a, a friendly stop by, you know, why, why shouldn't the creator of all, you know, this entire world be able to see what's going on with uh, the origin story of one of the most iconic creators' characters he created. And so... Uh, Kathleen Kennedy says what was supposed to be just a quick uh, drop by turned into like a five-hour visit where he was just hanging around and watching them film and, and that kind of thing and it turns out during one particular scene uh, Kathleen Kennedy wouldn't say what was happening in the scene but it's something on the Money and Falcon George just made a quick suggestion he's like oh well, why doesn't Han do this and Ron Howard was just right there and like heard what uh, what he had said and he was like oh yeah and so he like when it said he was like hey he's like uh george says that we should try this out and so they did and apparently it's a a funny moment in the movie uh maybe we'll be able to pinpoint what it is once we actually see it we don't have any more specifics beyond that but uh it looks like george lucas still has a little bit of uh ambition to still direct uh all the toys that he created
1: you know and i I should mention a a couple days ago we were commenting on the solo trailer and uh ben and i commented on how we were surprised that It looked so stylish and gritty, um, and that you know, people were saying that you know, Ron Howard was just a journeyman director, and we expected to be more, um, you know, uh, just uh, standard, um. Hey, we got a lot of criticism in the email for that um because obviously ron howard is not that guy of a, you know you look at his films uh, you know you look beyond his da vinci code films and you know you have films like apollo 13 and you know so some big stylish movies um so anyways I, I i just want to say that i don't think uh our criticism of, of, of was of ron howard i think it was criticism of the situation and him coming in and i think uh we, we just assumed that he was going to you know get it done um if 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 that makes any sense but uh let's also talk about someone else who helped from the original trilogy on this new solo a star wars story and that is han solo himself harrison ford chris how did he help
3: uh, yeah, I feel like, you know, everyone loves Harrison Ford. I love Harrison Ford. But when you think of Harrison Ford, you think of him as this gruff, grumbly guy who really doesn't care about Star Wars that much. He, you know, he, he had his time in the sun. He got a huge paycheck for The Force Awakens. And I kind of personally thought like that was it. Once he's done with The Force Awakens, he's done with this franchise. But Per this story, he acted sort of as a secret advisor on the film. Um, Kathleen Kennedy says she sent him the script and he approved of it. And he also just offered advice. You know, Ron Howard met with him when he took over the project. And he just, you know, he offered advice on the character, on, you know, the character's loneliness, all this stuff. And it just it, it reveals that as gruff and grumbly as Harrison Ford is about, you know, his career and this character he does actually think a lot about it. He you know, I guess he just can't let it go and he has a lot of thoughts about the legacy of the character. So, uh I was I was a little touched by this story because like I said, I really didn't expect this to
1: <laughs> happen. Yeah, me neither. Uh you know, this poses a question in my mind. Do you think there's any chance that Harrison Ford actually appears in this somewhere?
3: I've been wondering that ever since the movie was announced, honestly, if there's like some sort of I don't know, like ends, flash, or, yeah. yeah, like flash forward or something. But I really don't know. I mean, I, we'll find out sooner. Uh, but I, I kind of was saying no. But I, I don't mean, know. you,
1: you could start it with his his funeral that we didn't see in the Last Jedi. Um, right, yeah. but that wouldn't put him in it, would it? So I'm that's. Oh, he
3: could be in the uh, the space coffin or whatever. it they would be.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Although that would be kind of depressing to start the film with the funeral. Yeah,
4: <laughs> I, don't, I don't, I don't, I don't want. F- the funeral in that movie i don't want harrison ford to appear just no that seems so forced and and totally undercuts his death in force awakens eh,
1: yeah okay um let's move on to uh alex garland his film annihilation is coming out soon we just talked about the early buzz uh yesterday and uh he's doing press and he's uh revealed his next project is going to be a tv series jacob what
2: do we know well, what we know is what Garland told Fandango in an interview, and I'm just going to read his quote. The next project, provided it happens, hopefully we're going to shoot it later this year. Uh, it's an eight-part television series for FX. It's sort of a science fi- it's sort of a science fiction, um, but it's much more technology-based sci-fi, whereas Annihilation is a more hallucinogenic form of sci-fi mm-hmm. and more fantastical form of sci-fi. This is slightly more in common with projects I've worked on, like Ex Machina or Let Never Let Me Go, which are t- t- uh, taking something about our world now, not our world in the future, but our world as it is right now, and then drawing sort of in- uh, inferences, inclusions about it. So we actually knew that Garland had a deal with FX uh, a couple of years ago, but this is our first time uh, hearing what he's up to. And while we don't know any details, uh, uh, as our own writer Hoi Tran point pointed out in this article, Uh, Never Let Me Go, which Garland wrote for director Mark Romanek, uh, and Ex Machina, while they're both very different science fiction films, are both these sort of dark stories of what it means to be human. Uh, In Ex Machina, it is about uh, artificial intelligence, uh, gaining sentience, and fighting for its own uh, right to exist. And Never Let Me Go is about uh, people who are grown up as clones simply to be organ donors uh, trying to gain their own rights. So even though we don't know what this series is actually about, uh, it being a thematic cousin to those projects is very, very interesting. And it's very much in line with what FX does. FX tends to uh, be very... uh, uh, op- open with its uh, creative teams uh, to make things uh, ranging from Atlanta to Legion to Fargo, uh, these very personal, uh, made-for-adults shows that often push boundaries. And Garland is a guy who's very smart. Uh, I, hate, I hate this word, but very edgy uh, mm-hmm. and tends to um, not want to cater to lowest common denominator. So I think him and FX are a great fit. I thought of him making a sci-fi show like this uh, i'm all there for it especially if annihilation had so much trouble getting to the big screen uh, with the producers in paramount wanting him to dumb it down uh, i think fx is a, a place that will let him be him uh, i'm curious what you guys think i know um none of have seen annihilation yet but we all like x machina we all like garland i'm assuming
1: yeah um i i i think probably out of this group what chris is probably the biggest fan
3: yeah, I'm a I'm a huge uh, Alex Garland fan. I love Ex Machina. I'm very excited to see uh, Annihilation. So I, I think he's one of the the smartest uh, writers working right now. So I'm very interested to see what he comes up with. I
1: I wonder. You know, FX is known for their creative freedom with uh, you know showrunners and stuff. I'm wondering if if uh, if that will be tested with Alex Garland, who uh, notoriously like likes the butt heads with. Um, producers and studios um but let, let's move on to our last bit because we are running late on the show and that is uh disney's streaming service they they have announced uh some of the movies and television shows being developed for the first year of this uh streaming service brad what do we know
4: yeah so we uh, know that disney is starting their own streaming service uh because chris doesn't have enough stuff to watch so disney's like here's some more um and <laughs> So originally we knew that there was going to be a lot of exclusive things that were going to be on here from uh, Disney's own movies uh, since their they deal with Netflix is expiring soon to brand new original shows that they're creating themselves like the forthcoming uh, developing new Star Wars series. Uh, There's supposed to be like a live action one and an animated one in the works. But now we have details on some of the other things that will be coming to the streaming service some projects that we hadn't heard about before some that we had that are seemingly getting uh quote-unquote dumped onto disney streaming service um and some of them on the movie side of things include uh, a new version of lady and the tramp which we believe is another one of disney's live action retellings of their animated classics as they've done uh with the jungle book and soon the lion king uh there's also a project called Stargirl, which we believe is an adaptation of uh, the young adult novel of the same name. Um, there's also remakes of Three Men and a Baby and Sword in the Stone in the works. And there's uh, some other movies that you can read about on there. One of the other ones that we'd heard about, or a couple of the other ones we heard about before, are is a movie called Magic Camp, which is uh, something that Pete, our own Peter Serretta was excited about. Um, yeah, it was originally going
1: to come out in theaters, but now it's uh, getting dumped to the Disney ghetto of the streaming service.
4: Yep, and, and then uh, another one will be uh, Anna Kendrick's Christmas movie, Nicole, uh, which will be coming to the streaming platform. Apparently now it's being called Noel, but since that, that title comes from Deadline, it could be wrong because they don't know what they're talking about half the time. <laughs> um, and it's that Christmas movie where she plays Santa Claus's daughter who has to step up and fill in for Santa Claus after he retires and Santa's brother uh, doesn't take over the duties like he's supposed to. And then on the TV side of things, uh, there's supposed to be uh, Monsters, Inc. animated series. Uh, There's no plans for any new Marvel shows yet. Those still seem to be safe over at Netflix. And like we said, the Star Wars uh, shows are coming. One thing that doesn't sound like we're going to get at all uh, is there doesn't seem to be any plans for any R-rated content, which shouldn't be a surprise coming from the House of Mouse, even though Disney likes to put out a little bit more edgier Adult-oriented content through their touchstone pictures banner. It sounds like this Disney streaming service will be strictly for uh, Their Disney audience, which is primarily geared towards families
1: So that's interesting. You don't think they're gonna put any of like the R-rated touchstone pictures on there
4: you know, I don't know. It's you know, it's, it's tough to say as of now It sounds like the movies that they're developing simply for the streaming service aren't going to be in that vein but you know uh, since they're bringing their whole library of movies with them, maybe they'll have some of their, their more adult movies uh, that'll be part of the library. But, you know, we won't really know until the service goes live.
1: Yeah. And, uh, it's, just so you know, um, oh, wait, hold on. Yeah. So j- just so you know, you know, the, you know, Disney did release R rated films through, uh, their Miramax pictures, uh, uh, Label when they were involved with that, uh, Touchstone Pictures, uh, you know, films like Ruthless People, Pretty Woman, Disney was responsible for, uh, Snake Eyes, Starship Troopers, Enemy of the State, Con Air. Um, so it's, it, we yet to know if if those will end up on the service, if the service is just going to stay, uh, PG and pg 13. or maybe we'll- they'll,
4: re- maybe they'll remake Con Air for families.
1: Okay. With that said, i think that uh uh, brings an end to today's slash film daily uh jacob where can people find more of your work online
2: i'm on dot com every single
3: day and twitter where i am at jacob s hall chris where can people find you i'm also at slash com and i'm on twitter at c evangelista 413
1: brad
4: Find me on Twitter at Ethan Underscore Anderton and listen to my podcast, Go Flix Yourself, F L I X, on iTunes and other podcasting platforms. And keep an eye out for uh, my own script for that Con Air for Families.
1: <laughs> what, what is it going to be called, Brad? What's the title? Fun Air on air. Okay. Okay. Uh, yes, you can find me at slash film on Twitter. You can find this podcast slash film daily published on iTunes, Google play overcast, all the popular podcast apps every weekday. Uh, we will see you next Monday. Thanks for listening.